The guests on Love Hurts occasionally use some adult language and go into some more intense subject matter, but that's kind of how real life works anyway. This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. Today's guest is Chloe Radcliffe. Chloe is a comedian living in New York City. Chloe has a habit of cheating in her relationships, so much so that she wrote an entire hour-long show about it. In our conversation, she looks back at how the pattern started, what made it so easy, and why she kept doing it. Hey, Chloe, how's it going? Hi, Ryan. How are you? Good to see you in your in your space your space recording studio across the world. I I am stuck in a tiny sound booth. And uh, earlier today, it was I had another meeting in this sound booth, and my computer died, and then I had to go to my phone. And while I was getting my phone, there was no there's no power in this sound booth. There's like not enough room to move around. My phone didn't have the right app. It was like a Microsoft Teams meeting, and oh, then I boy. spilled a big a full cup of coffee in the sound booth, which I assume is full of tens of thousands of dollars worth of equipment. So anyway, not going to tell anybody about that. Hope the people who own the sound booth don't listen to this podcast. I hope everybody else listens to this podcast, but not them. <laughs> yeah. So you're mentally, you're in a perfect place to just like yeah. spill out about like yeah. love in your life. Yes. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I asked you on this. I saw your show recently, which I felt like the perfect kind of uh, premise topic to be on a love hurts podcast which cool yeah your your show about you cheating having a a pattern of cheating on relationships you've been in yes yes my history of serially cheating in relationships yes and other than that i've never done anything wrong um (laughs) yes obviously the show is about how this became a pattern in your life and i um yeah i guess i was like curious about like how when it all started, like who you were in the world and like how it all kind of took place. And yeah. Great. So let's wind the clock back <laughs> to, <laughs> um, God, when was that? It was so- my sophomore year in college. Um, so what would that have been? 2009, 2010, 2009, I think. Um, I, so I spent all of, middle school and high school feeling very much like, uh, I I just was like feeling very ugly duckling, like semi reject. I think it was, but I was very like loud and outgoing. I was, I've always been gregarious. I've always been like, I've always been a little ham. Um, but I never felt in, in my formative teen years, never felt conventionally attractive. Um, not only just like sort of generally gorky looking and pudgy and, you know, all, all of the, you know, typical teenage stuff. Um, but also I have a huge birthmark on my face and that is, and in so many ways, my birthmark has made me who I am in, you know, or, or has contributed to, to, you know, so much of my resilience. And I, I think the sort of willingness to be loud and out there and in your face right away is, is I think, I think, and, and the way I use humor. And I think a ton of that is, um, if not, you know, credited entirely to my birthmark, at least, uh, certainly impacted by having a huge thing on my face. Um, that is really inescapable, really, really unignorable. Um, yeah, it's hard to not just like take this head on, right. To just be like, 
this is a thing that's literally on my face that people are going to notice and I have to just like. Right. It, it's right? it's the kind of thing. Exactly. It's the kind of thing that it's like it's so unchangeable. You know, like I guess I could have gotten a surgery to remove it, but it would be <laughs> yeah. a huge scar. Um, and yeah, it's like when I was a kid and I like have like kind of dark bags under my eyes that like now that I have glasses, it like hides a little bit. When I was a kid, like people all the time would be like, are you tired? Are you tired? Or is everything? Are you like? Yeah. Okay? And I think it was from like allergies. I just had like bad allergies as a kid, but it was like hard to not be a topic of conversation all the time totally. when I was a kid. And either you, I, I think like you only have two directions to go. You either pull fully inward and it like, you know, cripples you or you have to push through it and you have to be like, you have to indicate to people who are going to deal with whatever the weird thing about you is that that doesn't matter to you or that that's not, that that's not the key important thing that they, that's not the key way that they should be interacting with you. And you have to sort of present them with an alternative personality, you know, like, or an an alternative element of your personality to be like, yeah, sure. I have a thing in my face, but also I'm charming or also I'm funny or also I'm loud and annoying or also I'm whatever. I've, I've sort of dealt with the feeling of like feeling like a bit of an outsider, uh, to some degree forever. And not that my birthmark makes me, you know, not a part of society, but like the idea of just like as a kid having to deal with like, ah, yeah, this is a huge difference. And you're just so it's, I'm so used to it. And it's, it's so a part of, um, a part of me. So anyway, so I, I always sort of felt like I was on the fringes and I was in theater and I was in marching band and I was in speech and debate and I was just this like big nerd and yeah all the nerdy high school things yeah were you were you a nerd in high school I yeah but I was like I was like like literally I I had a group of friends that we are we were joked uh the AV club or AV squad is what people Mm -hmm. would call us uh or we just called ourselves that which is probably even nerdier that we Mm -hmm. were just like yeah we're the AV squad but I did like our our school had like uh, a film pro- a movie program, and that's what I did, and that was like my nerd unit of school. Um, yeah, and I yeah. was on like the fringes of a lot of like I had like my group of friends, but I could like sort of float around other people's groups of friends, but never felt like totally included in them. I don't. That was sort of my like social yeah. status in high school. It's it's so I I think about constantly about how. Like when I'm like, I felt like an outsider or I felt like a reject or I didn't feel attractive or whatever. It's like, doesn't everybody feel weird yeah. as a teenager? Yeah. There's a lot of me that winds up being like, yeah, Radcliffe, you dumb shit. Like you, well, you, you're, you're making such a meal out of like feeling like a weirdo and everybody feels like a weirdo and, well, and, and that, nobody. Yeah. It's that thing where like uh, you, everyone's dealing with their own shit, but like it's, if Like, I feel, and I'm still like this today because I just have anxiety, but it's, like, hard when you can't get out of your head about it, right? It's, like, that thing of, like, oh, I'm making this a bigger deal than it needs to be because I can't. But it still is a big deal then, right? Like The stakes are there, right? Yeah, like. Right. And I'm, like, a high school teacher now, so I deal with, it's so weird being a high school teacher now and being, like, I could fully put myself back into what I felt when I was the kids I'm teaching ages and knowing that, like all the stuff that I was stressed out about and sometimes seeing myself in kids in a way where I'm like, Oh God, I wish you didn't feel like I could tell that you're all stressed out and it's fine. Um, yeah, but it's weird. It's weird to like experience that on a daily basis still now as an adult, but yeah, it's like high school. And it's, 
it's funny to then think about it in the reverse direction where it's like you're seeing people you're seeing the scars that people are going to carry forever yeah. Yeah. even when they're small even when even when it is like oh this person said a thing about my eyebrows and now I'm going to be self-conscious of my eyebrows for the rest of my life it's like that's crazy that that has such an impact it's so stupid but it does but yeah so so this is all a long way of saying yeah like the the you grew up with a thing that you had to take on head on but it's like in a way like it seems like you said I kind of just embraced this thing and I was okay with it but at a certain point, it still, like, is a thing that is in your head all the time, right? Totally. And also, I felt self-conscious of my body. I weighed a lot more than I do now. I, like, I, yeah. you know, I felt self-conscious at first. I, I never felt, like, hot. I never felt hot for a, a, a whole multitude of reasons. Um, and so I went to college. And right, like, senior year of high school, I was starting to be, I was starting to learn how to use humor to ingratiate myself with people who otherwise only cared about physical attractiveness um, is really what it was. Like I started, there was like a group of popular kids where I started to be like, I started to crack jokes with them and they were like, I started to get involved in this group of popular kids, which was like, this is crazy. What are you talking about? I'm not them. (laughs) And it was so directly like all of the girls they're friends with are hot except me, I'm the funny one. And I was definitely not, I was so on the fringe. Like I, I was not in the friend group. I was not hanging out with them, but like every once it was like, I would go to their graduation parties and then throughout college I would get invited. Anyway. So I like started to come into myself and started to like really figure out how to use my personality to outweigh the things that made me feel not physically attractive. Um, and like discovered that I could get attention from men in that way. Um, and I started and I had, I, I had like had like marching band boyfriends where we like, I was, yeah, was going to say, did hall, you have you like know? boyfriends leading up to this point? But, but like barely, like I kissed, yeah. I kissed two people in high school, you know, like it wasn't never, never, never went past a kiss in high school. And so in college then, and like freshman year was like, would kiss a few people, whatever. But then like, finally at the end of the year, I I wound up in this. So I was competing in college speech and debate. Um, for the record, I was on the speech side. Debaters are the nerds. Speech kids are cool. Um, <laughs> I love how even in the nerdy thing, you're like, well, this is the least nerdy thing of the yeah, nerdy thing. Yeah. No, also it is so nerdy. I mean, it's so, it's, it's, uh, it is horrendous how absolutely like social <laughs> Ebola this activity is. And it's, and the thing is that like, I love speech. It made me who I am. It's so much of, it's, it's so much of what I, how I still talk and how I still think. And I, I really, really credit, I competed in it for 10 years. I credit it with so much in my life, but it's, it's, it is, um, yeah, paralyzingly, uh, uh, dorky. Um, so anyway, I was competing in speech and I, I like wound up, there was a guy who was a year older than me and he, he competed, um, for a different team and we would see each other, but we were both in the Midwest. And so we would see each other at these like regional tournaments every couple of weeks and we were talking and then we would talk on Facebook and that this was when like, you're on this like Facebook messenger yeah. relationship. And this is, you know, like you didn't have Facebook messenger on your phone. So you had to like get to your computer and like <laughs> sit and have this big like chat convo with them. Yeah. It was kind of like, it, 
AIM 2.0, I almost feel like, right? It was like, 100%. And yeah. I never really, I honestly didn't really get into AIM. Okay. Like the first, I was on it a little bit, but I was, it wasn't like my whole life in the way that it was for a lot of people. But so yes, this Facebook Messenger setup became my whole life, especially because I was like friends with people around the country through speech. Yeah. And I was like, I don't really want to be in a long distance relationship, which is like what it was blossoming into after a few weeks. And I tried to end it. Um, was like, I, I want this to be done. And then he was like, I don't. And he sort of pushed back. And then of course you're in the, like, I was in the, like, well, we shouldn't talk anymore. And then I just was young and didn't, wasn't gonna fully call, you know, cut the cord at like, so, you know, then we're like texting five minutes later and we're like, well, I'm sad. I'm sad too. (laughs) And then it just like turns back into, you know, but I look back and I'm like, man, I had the instinct so early of like, nah, Radcliffe, don't do this. This is not the thing you want. It's not the, it's not the setup. It's not the framework you want. And it's not the person you want. Yeah. And you tried to advocate for that. And it was like, and I tried to advocate for that. And and I, you know, on one hand, like, did he push back and convince me, which became a pattern later in the relationship? Sure. On the other hand, was I just like too young to take a stand? Yeah. You know, right. So anyway, um, so we stayed together. Then we became like, oh, then I went, uh, his college has a big, uh, party at the end of the speech season and a bunch of speech people fly in from around the country and party (laughs) and he was on that on that team and so I flew in and like went to this big party felt all cool that night the night of the party we were not officially like fully formally boyfriend girlfriend yet that night I kissed two other people at that party it's it's crazy to look back and be like Radcliffe it is so the it is so clear so early what's going on and what you want and that you don't want this and that you want to just be kissing people at parties yeah which is college that's like what you should which is college is exactly and that in retrospect it's like oh I'm setting this pattern up for myself so fucking early anyway this pattern of cheating so that night I kissed two other people he didn't kept it from him he didn't know at the end of the night like went you know ended the night with him um and the next morning uh, we became like exclusive boyfriend girlfriend, and I was like, "Great, I didn't do anything bad yeah, because we haven't officially said." Which, in again, like that's the sh- kind of shit that society is like. As long as you, I talk about this in my show, where it's like, "What counts as cheating?" And like, I, a lot of people are like. Uh, cheating starts at a kiss and I'm like I think there are relationships that are fully cheating fully affairs where you never kiss I've had them where you yeah. never 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 like kiss fully like, like emotional it, yeah full emotional affair that where my partner would be absolutely destroyed to know the degree of intimacy that I have with this other person but like our lips never touch so is that fine and and that it's like society treats it as su- cheating as such a black and white issue in so many ways that it, and it drives me nuts and we treat monogamy as so so black and white and polyamory is so black and white and polyamory is a whole other topic and I find most polyamorous people annoying but like the whole thing is just treated without nuance and and that cheating is just it is when you cross this one line and it is when you and then you do this bad thing and then you are a bad person and that's it and there's no other discussion and I think that contributes to like shit like I'm like okay well I kissed two other people other than my my the person who I flew here to see but he doesn't know and we didn't officially have this agreement so that's fine it's I'm good like and that's the kind of shit that comes that's the kind of thinking the kind of flawed thinking that comes out of this like super super black and white analysis of monogamy and relationships and yeah because it's a lot of justification yeah it's self-protection yeah yeah and that's why we don't change that's why we don't 
excuse me, that's why, like, I didn't turn around to my boyfriend and say, like, hey, can we talk about this? I'm yeah. feeling Yeah, you could have a real feelings. discussion. Yeah. But yeah, instead, can't do that because then that's like, going to make me feel bad. Yeah. 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 Um, so anyway, then we became, yeah. And I like, I had sex for the first time with him on that trip and was just sort of felt like I was starting to like come into my own, starting to like figure out who I was in a relationship, you know, and, and this is like the babiest, you know, littlest, cheesiest, dinkiest little relationship. But like it did, it was serious. It felt, we said, I love you. It like, you know, it felt, it, it was like, okay, this is the first real capital R relationship that I have yeah. been in the capital B boyfriend that I have had. Um, and I visited him a couple times that summer and then I went back to school that fall and I just started to feel like I, I just felt so much more confident, even also visiting him over that summer. He lived in a house with, with other competitors who were older than him. And I, like becoming friends with them and making them like me people who like these are speech competitors who I respect so fucking much who I look up to in this activity that we are are all sharing it's so funny that this it's I mean it's it is like sinfully dweeby but it's I I'm like oh these people who I want to respect and like me are starting to respect and like me. And I remember like making them laugh at a bonfire in their backyard. And that that was the most incredible feeling in the world, not just making anybody laugh, but making these people who I desperately wanted to like me. It's like the equivalent of being in the comedy scene today, right? There's probably people that you look up to as comedians that you are around and you're like, Oh, I made this person laugh. This person likes me. Like that feels like a lot, right? It's a very so important. Like, but that all contributed to feeling like, okay, I've like got my feet under me a little bit more in terms of who I am in social situations and like how to charm people. Like I, you know, learning a new, a new way of charming people or a new element to charming people. Um, and so I went back to school, went back to my college the next year for sophomore year, still dating this guy at a distance. Um, and, I remember I went to this dorm party very early in the year. I mean, this was end of September or beginning of October. It was somewhere right around there. And um, I went to a dorm party with a bunch of people I knew. And there was this guy who I'd like met before, but had always seemed kind of like he just was he was very like like punk rock badass mean asshole kind of kind of guy huge really big guy like not not fat like just jo- a, a large like a football player sized man and long bad hair bad long hair and just like <laughs> and like wore bandanas and like shit like that and like not the kind of person who I was ever friends with in high school not the kind of person who I ever would have like th- I I had never palled around with him the year before like I knew who he was but I wasn't we had net we had like barely ever crossed paths and somehow we started flirting i wish i could remember what happened at this party but we like (laughs) what we were flirting about but we just like started flirting and we had this chemistry and it was like oh fuck this feeling is the most incredible feeling i've ever holy shit this is the most incredible feeling i've ever had i remember being like like being around him and being like i am so fucking wet I, this is crazy. I, and we would like, I remember standing at this party and he like stood behind me 
close enough that like our bodies were touching. He wasn't like pressing against me, but like that was where I was starting to learn about like little touch, and which is like the one of still to this day my most favorite way to flirt is like the tiny little touches. I, I mean, it's the most incredible. It's it's so it's such an addictive feeling, and like it's just this little secret that the two of you have, and you get to like hide it. I mean, I, you get to hide it right. Like this comes back. This is cheating. You hide cheating. It's all. It's all. I, I'm. I'm. I, if if nothing else, at least I'm consistent. <laughs> um, anyway, so we, nothing happened. We didn't kiss that night, but we like kept seeing each other. I wish I could remember the first time we kissed. I truly don't remember. I don't remember. Uh, yeah. So there, there wasn't this like, act, or at least at the time there wasn't this active, like I am cro- like, I know you talk about this in the show, but the idea of like crossing a line. Um, uh, I mean, I think I just have always, I think I, I like as a person have always been a, like, I learned very early that like I can break rules and it's usually okay. Yeah. Um, for better or for worse, I'm not saying that as a, I like whether or not I should be proud of that. It's simply yeah. a fact. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, a huge part of that is privilege. Um, yeah. you know, and a huge part of that is also like being smart enough to like weasel my way out with my words mostly. And a huge part of that is like, I was raised in a fairly lenient household where it was like, let's just talk about the consequences of your actions rather than set like a specific rule. I never had a curfew. I like all that kind of shit. So I think I learned that I could toe the line and then like shit, like kissing two people at this big, two other people other than my boyfriend at this huge party where I was supposed to be with him the whole night. And I knew that I was like kind of abandoning him. And then that was fine. Like, yeah, it's the justification part of things, right? It's like the... Totally. And it's like little builds. Like, I don't think anybody makes decisions that are crazy. Like crazy people don't make crazy decisions. Every decision that anybody is making makes complete sense within the bounds of their experience. And that, you know, so it's like, you know, nothing comes out. I don't think anything ever comes out of the blue. Anyway, so at some point, this guy and I kissed... And I remember holding back. Like, I remember being like, we can't go any farther than a kiss. Yeah. He knew that I had a boyfriend. I'm sure I, I'm, I'm sh- he definitely knew I had a boyfriend, um, a long distance boyfriend. And then like, it's like, you know, little by little, I think we were hooking up over about a month, maybe a little bit more. And a little by little, I was, I would like, let us go farther and farther and farther. Eventually clothes came off. We definitely had oral sex and no, but not ever penetrative sex. And, uh, I remember, um, driving home for Thanksgiving and before Thanksgiving break. So sometime mid November and being like, I gotta break up with my boyfriend. This is crazy. And that means that I had been de- deliberating about that before. Like I remember being like 100% it has to end on the drive home for Thanksgiving, but I had learned I had learned this is, again, it's like how much of this is that you're young, how much of this is, you know, that you just don't see, how much of this is that I didn't have an older sister to be like, hey, dipshit, (laughs) I don't know. Um, I had learned that it's bad, it's mean to break up with somebody over the phone um, and that it's better to do it in person. And so I was like, well, the next time we're going to see each other is Christmas break. He's going to come to Minnesota and visit me. We already have these plans. And so I was like, I guess I'll just wait. And it was, it was at that point, it was like four more weeks or something, you know, so I was like, I guess I'll just wait. I don't think I went when I, I think when I went back to school, I don't think I was hooking up with the, with the dorm guy anymore, with the punk rock guy anymore. I think I cut that off. Um, I do know that I kissed another guy, a totally separate guy at a party 
and he walked me back to my dorm and then I didn't let him in and he was very annoyed. And the fact that the fact that I've never been assaulted with how much how much I have cut things off, how much I've been like, nope, we can have this version of sex, but not this version of sex. Nope, you can walk me back to my dorm, but then you can't. The fact that no, I was never assaulted is truly mind blowing. And I'm very grateful and very lucky. <laughs> this is more about the guy. The guy. It's not on you. You're not doing anything wrong in those situations. But no, 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 no. But but I'm saying like yes. the fact that the fact that the people who I was with happened to never push me yeah, 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 in yeah. a way that I couldn't resist. Like you know, they, they definitely pushed, but not that hard. Yeah. And like either mentally or physically, is truly just luck. It's just it's just luck. Anyway. Um, and so Christmas break came and my boyfriend came to Minnesota to my mom's house and I broke up with him. I was like, we got to do that. I remember like I, we were laying on the floor in the downstairs bedroom and I was like, we have to break up. I don't want to do this anymore. And he said, give me four more. Let's do, let's do one more month. And if the month is bad, then we can break up. And if the month is good, then we'll stay together. And what a crazy ultimatum in retrospect and like very manipulative, very, like very coercive. Um, it wasn't really like, let's deal with what's going on. I was like, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I want me to be done. Um, and it was, he said, nope, let's stay together. And I just was too young to know that you could say no. And to like, to be able to be like, Hey, Radcliffe walk. And we stayed together and January was good. And of course it's good because it's like, it feels like a fresh start, you know? And I remember the fifth week, the next, the second that the month was done, it, I was like, oh, I do not want to be in this anymore. <laughs> and it was so bad and felt, I just hated it. But at that point, his speech team, it's funny how much speech really plays into this. His speech team um, had a... Uh, my interpretation of it was that it was a rule. I have since talked to somebody on that team who was like, nah, it was like a general recommendation, but it wasn't a hard and fast rule. But I thought I was such a good kid that I, other than being a cheater, I, I thought that their team had this rule where it was, n you cannot start a new relationship or end a relationship within three months of nationals or something <laughs> or two, two months of nationals, whatever it was, February, March, April, February, March, two, it was, it must've been within two months of nationals. That's what it was. Um, and of course, from a like coaching standpoint, it's like, yeah, yeah. Dipshits don't go through a big, be focused on this on nationals. Don't be focused on, you know, drama with, yeah. a, with a, or like the excitement of a new relationship. Just like, Hey, eyes on the prize here. They totally understand the messaging. I completely understand it. I, from, I was on a different team. I interpreted it as a rule. And I was like, if I break up with him, then he will be going through a breakup in those two months before nationals. And I will, I knew that the rule wasn't like binding to me, but I felt sort of under its auspices, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, we can't break up until after nationals. And I think maybe I also felt like it was good for me. I can't remember. Anyway, I, I was like, it's within two months of nationals. We can't break up now. And so we got through February and we got through March and then nationals is beginning of April. And I was, I mean, I think at that point, like I was treating him badly. I remember he was complaining about like, I wasn't caring enough. And I remember being like, yeah, asshole. I don't want to be in this relationship. I never quite said that. I wish I had, but he was like, I think his grandma died and I like wasn't supportive or something like that anyway. And, um, 
nationals came and went. We both had a very good nationals. And then there was another, there's a second nationals, not worth explaining, that my team didn't go to, that his team did, that was two weeks later. So I was like, well, now I can't break up with him until he's through that nationals. That was the end of April. <laughs> and then, so it like, you know, by 10 days later or two weeks later or whatever, I was like, thank fuck, I can now do it. And on Cinco de Mayo, I was like, I want to break up with him. I'm, I was like, I am done. I am fucking, I have woken up. I can't do one more morning. I can't do one more night. I'm going to do it over the phone. I don't care. And his house, the same house that throws this big party, this big speech party, his house was throwing a Cinco de Mayo party. And I was like, I don't want to ruin his Cinco de Mayo party. I'll wait until tomorrow. <laughs> and I went out that night with friends and I kissed a senior. I was a sophomore and I kissed a senior who was about to graduate who had one more month of left of the school of school year. And I, we like kissed at the top of a playground. We were like out cause it was like a big house party night and we were like wandering the streets, bopping from house party to house party. And we wound up on the top of a playground. We kissed. And I remember saying, give me 36 hours. I'm breaking up with my boyfriend tomorrow. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I, I don't know whether he, I, I don't know whether he thought that I was serious or whether he thought I was just giving a line. Like what a great, you know, I have no idea, but he was like, yeah, fine with me. And he was like, call me, you know? And I broke up with Joe the next day. And the day after that, I called the guy who I kissed at the top of the playground and we wound up dating for like six months. Um, anyway, that, I think that was like the establishment of, I just learned it's, it's that it, in there, I learned that, uh, it's easier to cheat and lie. It's easier to cheat and hide it and get away with it than it is to break up with somebody. Um, I, I, had a therapist for not, not that long, but like the, and I ended it with her cause she wasn't that amazing. But the one like amazing thing, this was recent with like a year ago, I had this therapist briefly and the one like big wow moment that she gave me, I was like, I don't trust myself in romantic relationships. I second guess myself so badly. I, I trust myself. I trust my own decision-making in every other capacity and not in romance. I just spin and spin and spin and spin and spin. I, I get trapped in this doubt spiral. And I was like, I don't know why. And she was like, well, do you think it's at that point? I think I told her the Joe story. And she was like, do you think it's because the first time that you tried to like really advocate your, for yourself, your partner who was older than you, not that much, you know, a couple of years older than me. And, uh, and like in a position that you really, really respected and surrounded by people who you really, really respected, uh, called your judgment into question and basically like overrode your judgment. Do you think that maybe like fucked up your brain wiring a little bit? And, and, and that was a huge wow for me. And of course, like that scar shouldn't be severe enough to leave a lifelong wound. But if it's not dealt with, that's, I think that's the problem with all this teenage stuff, all this early stuff. It's that they're small wounds, but if they are not de dealt with, then the scar tissue that is left winds up being this thing that you fight for the rest of your life. If they're dealt with then, it doesn't have to become scar tissue, but it's it's really rare for it to be dealt with in the moment. Yeah, and I also think it's it's not so much like you said, it's sort of a small wound, but it's like it's kind of maybe like the if that version of a thing happened five years later or after a big relationship or two, yeah, maybe that wound is smaller. But because it's your first like big real relationship, that wound is just gonna it's like the the stakes of it again are like a lot higher for you, right? Yeah. And it's like Yeah. And you don't know the rule, like you don't know the rules of relationships. You don't know the rule, like you're just like the fact that you're like, oh, I can't break up with him because of this, or like this, like oh, I have yeah. to give we we're gonna have a month to see how things go when I'm like ready to not be in. The, it's like the, all the weird ways that you're trying to learn 
the rules of a thing that are not across the board the same rule. Like, it's just the rules yeah. for this relationship. And you're like, oh, I guess this is how this is supposed to go. But and you wind up extrapolating yeah. that to every, this exactly. is how, exactly. this is how the system works rather than like, no, no, this is how this one stupid thing is working yeah. right now. Yeah. yeah. So it, it, like that, that influence ends up being a lot bigger because of the circumstances of it. And it's like, yeah, yeah and it's hard, it's hard to like get that out of your brain, especially when you're like, you know, we put so much stakes on love and finding love. And so then like every other relationship becomes, it feels like, oh yeah, I can't like put, I can't screw this up or like I, whatever I do is going to affect this and this and this and like all that other right. stuff. That comes and I like, I became, I got really accustomed to being in a relationship longer than I wanted to, you know, like I got accustomed to the feeling of being like, I'm not sure whether or not I should end this. I'm not sure whether I want to be in this or not. And, and learned that like, that is a normal part of a relationship. And in re like, I've told, I told somebody about some a relationship years and years and years later, a, a, a very adult relationship that was wonderful in many ways and hard in many ways. And it's fine. Like it's fine. Um, but that relationship early on in, within the first year, there were three months where my, my boyfriend in this future relationship was super distant and I just like didn't feel any love. I didn't feel any affection. We wound up getting through it and stayed together for a, a long time, but and it, in a fine way, not in a way that I regret at all. But I told somebody, I was like, yeah, we went through three months where I, he was super distant and I just like wasn't well, within the first year. And somebody was like, God, three months of that? I would have been out after one month. And I was like, that's possible like <laughs> yeah. one month is enough to say this is bad like to me i'm like one month isn't long enough to say that's bad and it, it's funny i'm literally just coming to this right now of like oh i wonder if it's because joe gave me the one month ultimatum a long time ago like is it that is it that one month doesn't seem long enough to n have that yeah. data and i don't i can't trust that time packet you know yeah because you had that like four weeks was good but the fifth week was bad like the like that, right yeah the f like when somebody said when somebody was like oh if i had a month of bad early in a relationship like i'm fucking out of it that's bad and i was like that's crazy like that's mind-blowing which is funny because i am also what cheating does is it keeps me distant from people like it it's keeps people at arm's length but i can't ever quite or for a long time could never quite i think i'm getting better at it now but could never quite fully peel away like i have this very thorny relationship between like wanting to keep people close but not too close wanting to be alone but never fully alone you know all yeah. that kind of yeah tangled now that you've like done this show where you talk about this a lot and you were like you were just sort of saying this a little bit but like do you think it's changed how you look at relationships and things like that just like actively talking about this so much and sharing the story so much yes um so i would say first of all doing the show has changed what i know about myself yeah that's and yeah. that's that's really the fundamental core of it um I will say I have always been really open about a history of cheat about a pattern of cheating, like way before I ever was doing stand up. Like I worked okay. at a corporate job and my boss at my corporate job, who I was very close with and who I was like very pals with. But maybe it was after she wasn't officially my boss anymore and I was like on a different team. But she knew that I had a history of cheating. Like that's how open I've always been about it. Um, I remember like cheating in some, you know, yet again, 
whatever experience it, whatever version of events it was in whatever relationship it was. And I remember being on a rooftop at a happy hour and a friend showed up with like a group of people who I wasn't super open with. And then a friend showed up and I was like, guess what I did again? And he goes, and, and he looked at me and he was like, do I know what you're about to say? And I was like, yep, you know exactly what I'm about to say. And he, and he just sort of shrugged and he went, well, you play the hand you're dealt. And I, and like, I've just, I've always instinctively known that if I, I need to, if I keep it shut down as like, it'll just turn into this terrible hard nut of shame inside of me. And, and, um, that I, I, you know, in order for it to not get any worse than it was, I needed to talk about it. So I've always, it wasn't, it didn't feel new to be open about it. Um, but the kind of like self investigation that I did to do this show was so, I mean, it's still happening. It's happening literally like in this podcast, but it was like, it was so revolutionary. And I think because I thought like, I got this, I already know how this goes because I've talked about it so much that I'm like, I know why I do it. And that it's like, Oh no, there's actually a lot of shit in there. Um, there's a lot of stuff about like my relationship with my dad and I hate being like, it's daddy issues, but it's like, Oh, he wasn't, he visited once a month, but didn't, but lived in a different state while I was growing up. And like that kind of like, uh, I learned to not trust an attachment. I learned to like, not, not rely on a connection and so I just started being like, how many connections can I have? Because they're all going to go away. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like working on the show. I remembered that in when I was 16, I was in high school and my high school crush, I found, I remember being in the cafeteria and finding out that my high school crush and his girlfriend broke up and I should have been like, yes, that's an awesome. Thank God. And instead I remember standing there holding my tray, hearing the news and, and, out loud to myself saying, well, everything ends. <laughs> and like, like a, like the, you know, a grizzled detective. <laughs> like, I was so jaded about relationships not lasting very early and like forgot how early that jadedness hit way before I was ever in a real relationship. So that kind of, that kind of investigation has been uh, very cool and like makes me be like, this is, I, for so long, I've just done the same thing in relationships and then been like, hope it's different this time. Hope I can just like try harder this time. And it's like, oh, no, this is the thing I'm doing different now. It's that I'm actually doing the kind of investigation. Yeah, it's like you were just sort of playing the same level in, in dying and you're like, oh, now I've learned this thing and I could make it past this boss or whatever. Yeah. And now you're like, oh, wait, I could just play a different game. Like there's a different game I could play. <laughs> yeah. Or it's it's not even that. It's actually I'm playing the same game, but I could play it as a different character. Yeah. So, yeah. Something that's like that. what it, yeah. it's. Th- I think that's what it is. I think for a long time I thought I have to play a different game, but really I want to play the same game. And so then I just kept playing the same game and I would play it at a higher and higher level, but I kept dying. And then it's like, what if you play the same game, but as a different character? And that's yeah. really what, that's what I've gotten into. Cool. Well, thanks so much for sharing all this, Chloe. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah. If people want to find out more about what you do and what you got going on, like where can they do that? I am at Chloe Badcliffe on all platforms. Um, my, it's like my last name, Radcliffe, but bad. Uh, and um, I am doing the solo show that you saw Monday, February 19th in LA at Dynasty Typewriter. Um, and then I'm starting to set up like little dates of the show around the country. So I'll be posting about all that uh, online. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for sharing. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This is how we love
Love Hurts is produced, hosted, and edited by Brian Berlin. Theme music by Mickey Hommel. Show art by Caroline Mallon. You can find Love Hurts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, rate and review it on Apple Podcasts and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Twitter and Instagram at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. I'm Brian Berlin. And this is Love Hurts.